Welcome to the Two Degrees Hotter podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Anya. And I'm Kylie. And we're two recent college graduates navigating young adult life in Boston, documenting it for you along the way. From college advice to post-grad problems, we're here to open the conversation of what it's like to be a 20-something, just figuring it out. We're excited you're tuning in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you like to listen. And we hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Two Degrees Hotter podcast. So I'm Kylie, and today I am actually doing a podcast episode solo. Anya's not here with me to banter with, but that's because I will be covering basically from start to finish my law school application process. So we got a few requests asking for tips on applying to law school or grad school in a bit more of a general sense. And so yeah, I figured I'll share kind of what I did. It worked for me and hopefully it'll at least be a little bit helpful to someone out there. But before we get into that, I'm going to go ahead and do the segments on my own. As of when I'm recording this, uh, the 1975 has released their new album. Literally today they released it. Um, So the album's called Notes on a Conditional Form, and myself and Anya are really big The 1975 fans. We've been listening to them since high school, I'm pretty sure. I really like the album. I've listened to it once all the way through. Um, I liked all of the singles off of it. People was the only one that I was a little iffy of just because it is a bit of a departure from what they normally do but with that being said it's a bit more of a like punk rocky vibe and I used punk rock used to be like my thing so I'm not that bad at it I'm just kind of surprised that it came from the 1975 but I think a really cool thing about that band is they're not afraid to take a departure from what their typical sound is Um, and they're always kind of like messing around and what's the word experimenting with their sound and their music which I think is really cool the album has 22 songs on it which is crazy it's such a long album but yeah it's definitely been nice to have with being home and the nicer weather it's perfect to play while you're kind of just enjoying the nice summer weather that's been coming other than that I am still on a bit of a hiatus haven't really had any responsibilities or anything since graduating and so I don't really know what to do with myself nowadays it's kind of been a lot of relaxing and Netflix binging um as of recently I have started looking into law school prep material with that being said I think the biggest piece of advice that I've been given and the most common piece that I've seen is the best way to prepare for law school after you've applied and gotten in is to just relax and enjoy those final few months leading up to it because it is a huge commitment as I'll talk about throughout the episode and so you don't want to spend more time than you need to you know being really serious and honing in on it with that being said there's so many free resources out there specifically there's so many YouTube channels and videos even that talk about just different things that help prepare you what exams are like how to prepare for your first week Things like that. I can leave a few of them linked down below that I've been watching if anyone else is also starting law school in the fall and uh, would like those. But yeah, hopefully things will pick up for me 
a little bit in the next few weeks. It's definitely been tough trying to think of what to talk about in these segments because like I said, it's a lot of just relaxing and it's nice. Don't get me wrong. I haven't done this in like years, it feels like, but it's definitely a different hat to be wearing for me. So yeah. Moving into my favorite for the week, um, like I said, I've been watching a lot of Netflix. I've also been watching a lot of YouTube. And so I want to talk about a YouTuber that I discovered, honestly, right before quarantine, I want to say, and who I've been watching pretty consistently since then. Um, And her name is Carrie Dayton, so D-A-Y-T-O-N, on YouTube. And she is more or less a body positivity YouTuber. I don't know if that's how everyone would like brand her, if that makes sense, but she does a lot on like fashion and health in regard to being body positive or through the lens of being body positive, which I think is really cool. I have honestly learned a lot about health, fitness, body positivity, intuitive eating in quarantine. It's just something that I randomly started to get an interest in and learn about a lot. And I think it's a really great mindset to be in, especially being post-grad now, kind of being a quote-unquote real adult now. I feel like I really should be prioritizing my health and prioritizing my body. And I think that growing up, you learn a lot of unhealthy ways to be healthy, if that makes sense. Diet culture it just runs rampant when you're a teenager and when you're in college and undergrad. I found diet culture and things that suggest that dieting is the best way and weight loss and all of that was at a really big peak for me, I think, in high school especially and continued into undergrad. So now that I'm kind of moving into this next chapter, I kind of want to take those unhealthy habits and leave them in the past and really focus on healthy habits that are actually healthy and that are beneficial um, and being more kind and forgiving to the body that I've been given because I think especially as women but just as people that can be a really really hard thing to do so with that being said Carrie has been a really great resource to have and a really great role model to have in that sense watching her videos and seeing how she talks about about her body talks about her health and talks to herself has been really inspiring. So if you're kind of in a similar boat as me, or if you're not in this, a similar boat as me, and this sounds at all intriguing, I really highly recommend checking out her videos. As a, dis, a quick disclaimer, law school applications and the law school application process is a bit different than just general grad school, PhD programs, med school. They all are going to require their own specific elements and components to the application. So I very highly recommend doing the research as to what best fits your niche application process. I can only speak to what I did applying for law school. So I just wanted to put that quick disclaimer out. But I'll take you through really quickly like the high level explanation of my application process. So I decided to go to law school after a professor pulled me aside after one of my freshman year English classes and told me, you know, I really think you should consider law school. You have a lot of the skills that lawyers need that I think you're really good at. And I think you would find a lot of joy out of a path like that. So just consider it. And I had never considered it before. I had gone into school as an English and secondary ed major. I had plans to become 
a high school English teacher. So I didn't necessarily brush him off, but I was like, eh, okay, I did some Google searching of it. And then starting in my sophomore year, I kind of started to doubt the English and education major path. It just didn't feel right for me. So I did some more research into going to law school and I realized that my professor was right. I felt like a lot of my strongest skill sets did really match um, what was coming up for lawyers and for law school, things like, you know, analytical reading and writing and interpreting really dense texts. Those are all crucial skills for law school. And I felt excited. There's a lot of paths you can do in law school. I feel like it's a stereotype where, you know, lawyers are very stiff and boring, but law really intersects everything in life. And so I think that aspect really excited me. So yeah, so all of a sudden I was like, you know what, I think I might take this really seriously. And I did, I ended up dropping down to an education minor and majoring in English writing and mass communications. And the rest was kind of history. (laughs) So moving into my sophomore year, I really just focused on my grades. There's not much you can do at the beginning of college to prepare for law school, nor should you do much at the beginning of college to prepare for law school. You should really just be having fun and enjoying college. But with that being said, knowing that I now was on the path of I definitely want to go to law school or at the very least some sort of continued education outside of undergrad, I knew that I should focus on my grades and make sure that my GPA remained competitive for my applications. I think that's pretty universal across all grad schools. I mean, you want to have a good GPA if you're applying to any school, um, not just law school. So I think really just prioritizing your grades in those first few years, having fun still and, you know, exercising time management and stuff so that you can still enjoy college while getting the work that you need to get done done is a really important thing to learn early on. So that way you can have those competitive GPAs that can set you apart for scholarship opportunities or whatever it may be. Moving into junior year, this is where things really start to pick up for at least law school prep. So at the beginning of junior year, that's when I started thinking about LSAT prep. So the LSAT is a notorious exam that you take. It's like the GRE for law school. And it is a really, really, really tough exam. Like really tough. There's nothing quite like it. So I knew that if I wanted my best shot, your G. PA and your LSAT score kind of go hand in hand with your application. You want both of them to be as high as they possibly can be. I was always given the advice of treating your LSAT prep like it was a part-time job because at the end of the day, your LSAT score is kind of what makes you eligible for certain scholarships. So in the end, you could save so much money on law school that it's almost like you're getting paid for a part-time job, if that makes sense. So the general rule of thumb that I always came across was that you study for three to four months for 10 to 15 hours a week before you take the test. Now, obviously, this is a huge commitment, especially if you are a student. So like me, I was a full-time student and I had plans to have a full-time internship between junior and senior year of college. So that would have obviously been a really, really strenuous schedule if I had decided to go 
that route. So instead, I did some research on kind of spreading that timeline out. So I actually ended up studying for about a year in advance, a year exactly to when I took the LSAT for the second time. So September to September, that full year, I did LSAT prep. So that way I was still getting the same amount of hours of prep, but I was just spreading it out to be more manageable with my personal schedule. And that's what I found worked for me. It's really about finding what works best for you and your learning style. I never took a course, mainly because they're like thousands of dollars and I just couldn't afford to take a course. If you think that you learn best in a classroom setting, I really highly recommend looking into it and prioritizing it and saving for it. But for me, it was just kind of off the table and I knew that I would be able to discipline myself enough to study and do as well as I possibly could. But yeah, so when I was studying, I used the LSAT trainer, which I got off of Amazon. I can link it in the description if anyone's interested. I found it really helpful to start off with. I literally read it you know, front to back. It's a giant, giant book, but it gets you really, really familiar with the different sections on the test because anyone who knows even a little bit about the LSAT, it's really you're not mastering the content, you're mastering the test, as crazy as that sounds. Um, And so this book did a really great job of breaking down what exactly each section of the test is looking to test you on and looking to score you on. And then from there, once I was familiar with the various sections and felt a little bit more comfortable with the test, I was able to start going into practice problems. And so I did this through Khan Academy, which is a free LSAT prep site. It's literally amazing. And you just can drill, drill, drill questions in all of the sections until your eyes feel like they're going to fall out of your head. I almost every single day, actually, yeah, every day for about a year, I was doing at least 10 of these prep questions. And they have full time or full length timed exams that you can take on there as well. And that's where I took all of my timed exams. And then from there, I ordered the logical reasoning Bible practice problems again off of Amazon. I can link it below. And that was really nice because so the LSAT is broken out into five sections. Two of them are logical reasoning. One of them is a reading comprehension. One of them is logic games. And then one of them can be any of those four or sorry, any of those three. And it's like a experimental section. They do it to get analytics on the test and you don't get scored on it, but you don't know what section is your experimental score um, section. I weirdly was good at the logic games. I found them really fun and just kind of latched onto them really easily. So I didn't feel the need to get like more practice problems to practice that. Reading comprehension, I wasn't like stellar, like getting every question right, but it also was only one section of the exam. So I didn't want to spend the money just to drill questions for one section. So I chose to really drill logical reasoning because you do have two sections on that. So I, in my mind, it was worthwhile to really make sure that I felt comfortable confident answering those questions. And then I ended up taking the LSAT twice. I took it once in July after my junior year. And again, in September of my senior year, I ended up scoring only a point higher, which is really sad because it costs $190 each time you take the LSAT. And truthfully, I wish that I hadn't (laughs) taken it twice. If I had known that I was only going to score a point higher, I probably wouldn't have taken it twice. But I, it, that's a personal preference, honestly. If you 
feel like you need like the first time to be kind of your test run of just understanding what test day is going to be like so you can really hone in on that second time and you can afford to take it twice by all means I won't I'm not going to tell you no but I didn't see too much of an improvement and quite honestly from what I've heard from other people not a lot of people see a super stellar improvement between their two times so that's just something to consider but yeah that's enough for the LSAT I'm definitely glad that I never have to take the LSAT ever again in my life it's not a fun time I'll be honest but it is an important part of your application and I think it is important to kind of have that mindset of it's like a part-time job because it really could save you a lot of money in the end and it ended up saving me a lot of money in the end So moving in, junior year was really LSAT, 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 and then again, continuing to focus on my grades and keeping my GPA up and in a nice competitive range. And then senior year, that's when I started to compile the other parts of my application. So with your law school application, you need to submit your LSAT score, your GPA, your transcript, all of that, but you also submit a personal statement, a resume, and letters of recommendation. So for my personal statement, my biggest thing is to start this as early as possible. So I started mine probably in August before senior year. Again, just to give myself time to one, think about what to write about because it is so hard to think about what to write about. At least for me, I'm terrible about writing about myself and kind of like gassing myself up. So I needed a lot of time to figure out what I wanted to say. And also starting as early as possible and getting it done as early as possible means that you can have more people read over it. So I ended up having, I think, two, a professor and my boss at school read over my personal statement a few times, I think, to really make sure that I was putting my best foot forward, that my writing was up to the standard that they both knew I could write to and that my topic was streamlined and to the point and I wasn't, you know, fading away from what I wanted to say. The length of it varies between schools, but for the most part, it was between two and three pages, which at first I was like, oh yeah, two to three pages, that's like nothing. But also like two to three pages is nothing. It is so hard to fit like your entire lifetime leading up to this into two to three pages. So you, it really tests you in being a concise, clear writer. So keeping that in mind, I think is huge. And again, that's where having people read over it for you and kind of getting it out of your mind and into someone else's is super helpful. As far as content goes, I have two kind of recommendations. So number one, be honest. So a lot of law schools want to hear why you want to go to law school. They're getting so many applicants. Every single law school is getting so many applicants and they want to know what sets you apart from everyone else and why you are worthwhile in having in their law school class. So for me, I was really honest about my struggle to nail down a career path as a first-gen college student. So I have said in a previous episode, I'm a first-generation college student. My older brother is a physical therapist and he always knew what he wanted to do from like freshman year of high school. He knew I'm going to go to this school and I'm going to get a degree in this and then I'm going to go to PT school and I'm going to become a physical therapist and that's it. And he did it. For me, I had no idea what I wanted to do and I only really had my brother's example to go off of. It was really hard when I realized, okay, his path isn't what I want, but I don't really know what any other path looks like. So I was really honest about how I didn't really know what to do. And it wasn't until this professor kind of gave me that guidance of, well, what if you look down this path being law school, that I started to feel how my brother felt so secure in a path. And so it was, it's definitely risky to talk about how you're like, hey, I 
didn't know what I wanted to do for a really long time because you don't want to come off as like flaky or indecisive. But that was a big component as to how I got to wanting to go to law school. And so I thought it was really important to include. Besides being honest, I also recommend being specific. And by this, I mean be specific about why the law school that you're applying to is the best fit law school for you. And now obviously you're going to be applying to multiple schools. Most likely I applied to three. You're going to have a favorite or you're going to have one that has, you know, more of what you're looking for. But obviously if you're willing to apply to the school, there has to be something that you see there that would work for you. So really latch on to what you think would work for you. So for example, I'm really interested in intellectual property law. Specifically, I'm interested in copyrights and trademarks because my major was English and writing, mass communications, copyrights and trademarks in the media are huge right now. It's a huge industry to be in and I personally find it incredibly interesting. And so that's a path that I want to explore in law school. So with each of my schools, I emphasized my desire to concentrate in intellectual property law. I pointed out the things in their programs that I thought really stood out to me and things that I thought I could really take advantage of to prepare myself for a career as a lawyer. And I just was specific. I literally had my personal statement open in one tab and the law school, whichever one I was applying to at the time, open in the other, their webpage. And I just pulled the lingo that they use to talk about the programs and the concentrations that I wanted to take advantage of. And I think that shows not only that you've done your research on the school and that you know what you're getting yourself into, but again, for someone like me who talked about the struggle of nailing down a career path, I then turned it around by emphasizing a direct path that I planned to take in that school. With that being said, you obviously, they're not going to be held accountable for sticking on that path. Like no admissions person is going to come up to you in your second year of law school and be like, well, you said in your personal statement that you were going to do this. It doesn't need to be set in stone. So don't fear that. But I do think it's important to take, even if you're 50% interested in it, just latch onto it and talk as if it's 100% what you're going to do. Other than that, for the personal statement, make sure you read each school's requirements. For the most part, I found that each school asks for relatively the same thing. They're just asking for why you want to go to law school and why their school would be a good fit for you. That's kind of the general gist of the personal statement prompts. Make sure to triple, quadruple, like up to 10 times check that you are sending the right statement to the right school. The absolute worst thing that you can do in your application is send a personal statement and at the end have this blurb about, you know, Harvard Law School would be the best law school for me because XYZ and then send that to Yale. So really make sure you take the time to double check and say, okay, my Harvard personal statement is going to Harvard. My Yale personal statement is going to Yale and it'll just save you a lot of time, stress and rejections, honestly. And with that being said, I did not apply to either Harvard or Yale. I was not, I'm not anywhere near smart enough to be going theirs. And then other than that, I'll make sure to link in the description some guides to writing personal statements. That's what I use. It's a simple Google search, but you can find a lot of articles that kind of guide you through how to craft a personal statement and then give examples of personal statements that you can read through and kind of use to bounce formatting and ideas off of. So then the next part of your application is your resume. Resumes really, they just are what shows your skills. So they help show that you're well-rounded, able to manage your time, able to multitask and tackle multiple projects at once. In my experience, the actual extracurriculars don't matter as much as your ability to showcase your skills. 
The best example is when I got into the first law school that I got accepted to, I found out over the phone and over the phone, they actually told me that a big thing that separated me from the rest of the application pool was my experience as a classroom aide in a high school near my college. And I did that as part of the education program when I, you know, was an education major. And I did a semester where I went into a classroom twice a week and worked in a a classroom with students. It was like a study hall classroom and I helped them with their homework and whatever the teacher needed at the time. And they said, we think that that's like a really great background. We don't have a lot of people apply with education backgrounds and we think you could bring an interesting perspective. So that's an example of something that I didn't necessarily think would fit really well into my application. It was just kind of going to be just another extracurricular, if you could say it like that. But it ended up being something that made me a bit more of a unique applicant. Just for reference, on my resume, I had completed three internships. One was at a law firm, one was at a local newspaper in the Worcester area, and one was at an IT consulting firm where I did a lot of work with contracts. I had two jobs. I worked as a tutor for three out of my four years at Assumption. And then in my last year, my senior year, I worked as a tutor TA in a program at my school. And then I had about five or six extracurriculars and five or six community service opportunities that I listed on my resume. Again, just do what you love. Do what interests you at school and get the most out of your school experience because I really think no matter what is on your resume, as long as you're doing something, that's all that matters. Because it, it it's just about showing who you are as a person even more and showing how you were able to do more than just go to class for four years. Lastly is your letters of recommendation. So most schools require one to three letters of recommendation. I ended up doing three, not even to be an overachiever and, you know, reach the max, but because it just worked out for me. So I had a letter of recommendation from a professor from an employer from the internship at the IT consulting firm and one from my boss at the tutoring center at school. So in my mind, I had one who knew me as a student, my professor, one who knew me as an employee, my employer, and one who knew me as a person because my job at the tutoring center, I was there 10 to 12 hours a week (laughs) each week. So my boss there really got to know me as a person more so than a student or even an employee. So I thought that would help shape a really well-rounded image of me. And that was kind of my logic. I gave each of my recommenders a month to write it. So I planned to turn in my apps by October 31st. I told them beginning to mid-September, hey, I'm applying to law school and I would love for you to write me a letter of recommendation. And I asked them to give it to me a week before I planned to apply, just in case something popped up with them and they needed an extra day or two. I wasn't disrupting my own timeline to fit their recommendation in, if that makes sense. Just to go over my general timeline, like I said, I applied. I gave myself the deadline of Halloween. Law school is rolling admissions. You can apply. I I think law school applications are open now still for fall 2020, but I did a lot of research on scholarship opportunities in law school and the general rule is the earlier you apply, the more likely you are to get a scholarship and the more money you're likely to get from that scholarship because at the end of the day, they only have so much money to give in scholarships and they're not going to be frugal with it hoping that the perfect applicant comes along. They're just going to give it away as applications come in and you don't want to apply too late and not get a scholarship that you're eligible for. 
I ended up applying to an early decision program because this specific program came with a guaranteed, really generous scholarship. But even still with that, I wanted to make sure to get that in as early as possible because if I did get deferred to the regular decision pool, I still wanted to be one of the first people in the regular decision pool to just up my chances of getting a good scholarship. Thankfully, I got into the early decision program, which was really, really exciting. And it really was like the best day of my life when I found out that I got into that program and all of the work that I had put in had finally paid off. So I know this is a lot of work, but I promise it's worth it to get that acceptance and know that you're going to the law school that you dreamed of going to. That's kind of the high level experience that I had. I'll go into your guys's questions to make sure that I touch on everything. One person asked, who did you use for references in your application? And if you use college profs or advisors, do you have any tips on how to make meaningful relationships with them? So like I said, I used a professor, an employer, and then my boss at the tutoring center at my school. So with my boss, the tutoring center at my school were just a close-knit community in and of itself. So that was kind of easy. Just getting hired there, I was able to create a meaningful relationship. And with that being said, every time I came into the center, I made sure to say hi to him. I chatted with him every now and again when I wasn't tutoring. And it just kind of became organic that way. I wouldn't suggest forcing a relationship at all. You, The best recommenders are going to be the ones that you created an organic connection with over time. So that, I guess, I didn't really work towards. As far as my employer goes, really, my best advice is do well at the internship. I know that sounds super obvious, but I just worked my butt off and I made sure to always be a team player and help whenever I can, volunteer to help wherever I thought that I could help and be timely with the tasks that I was given. And just, yeah, I I just cared about the internship. I did love working where I worked. And so that really made it easy, but I just made sure to work really hard. And I'm lucky my boss at my internship at the IT consulting firm, she was amazing and so, so, so nice. And that's kind of how I established a relationship with her. And then as far as professors go, for me, I had the experience where I kind of just, you know, I showed up to class, I participated, I showed that I cared. I was a big office hours goer. I think office hours are so important for establishing a relationship with professors, because not only does it show that you care enough to take time out of your day to go and see a professor for their class. But it also gives you that one-on-one interaction with a professor where they can actually get to know you both as a student and as a person. With the professor that I ended up asking, I had him in one of my major courses. I made sure to go to him in office hours to ask questions whenever I did, whenever I had them. I participated in his class. I worked hard on his assignments and did well on them. And it just ended up working out that he recognized my hard work. And at the end of his class, he said, you know, if you ever need a recommendation, shoot me an email. I'd be happy to recommend you for whatever you're planning on in your future. And then I ended up having him for two more classes in undergrad, which helped me further establish that relationship. And then he actually was the advisor for a club that I created on campus. I started a lifestyle, a women's lifestyle magazine on campus, and he was our advisor for it. So that again, just helped me build that relationship. I realize that that's like such an overachiever answer for this. I think the biggest thing is office hours, just showing that you care, especially in classes in your major. That's, I think, one of the best ways to build a relationship with your professors. 
Did you have to interview for grad school? If so, what was the process like? I did not have to interview for grad school. I did have a few phone calls with admissions um, representatives from a few of my schools, but I kind of did that voluntarily just to learn a little bit more about the schools. I don't know if that helped me at all. I don't really think that it did, but I did not have to interview, thank God, because I'm sure that's a very nerve-wracking experience. How and why did you decide to go to grad school straight out of college? So I did consider a gap year, especially if I didn't get a decent scholarship to law school, I would have taken a gap year solely to save up some money to be able to afford it. I do have student loans for undergrad and I didn't want to really sink myself into significant debt for seven years. <laughs> so if I hadn't gotten into the early decision program that I had gotten into, I probably would have taken a gap year. However, I did get into that program and it does provide a really generous scholarship that makes going to law school straight out of undergrad a lot more reasonable for me. And my mindset is if I know I want to be a lawyer now, I don't see why I would wait a few years because law school does take three years. It is a huge commitment, a full-time commitment when you're in it. And I didn't want to lose the momentum of being a student by going to work for a year. I've already been a student for four years. I have a routine in place for what works for me. And so I want to really keep with that and just power through these three years and be able to start my career path at 25. But that's my school of thought. I don't think any school of thought is wrong with this. It really has to do with what you think would work best for you. I think you need to consider what you want out of your career. If you're sure you want to go to law school or whatever grad school it may be, the financial aspect of it. There's just a lot of things to consider. And so I really suggest sitting down with yourself and asking those questions and asking if you think you would be better off waiting or going straight through. How did you go about asking professors for letters of rec and when did you do it? So like I said, I gave about a month for them to do it. I really recommend this because at the end of the day, you can give them all the time in the world, but they're gonna wait till the last minute anyone that you're asking to recommend you for grad school is a busy person and you kind of want to give them just enough time to have them be able to do it very thoughtfully but also not have them forget about it so that's kind of my advice on that and then as far as asking with the professor like I said I was lucky he had offered to write me a letter of recommendation so I just went to him in his office hours and said I'd like to take you up on that offer um, and at that point, we had established, you know, a great relationship and I had been in his classes and he was now the advisor of my club that he was like, of course. Um, same with my boss. I kind of just went into his office one day and said, I wanted to ask you a question. You know, I've loved working here and I would really love it if you could write me a letter of recommendation for law school. And he said yes. And then my employer, I had asked her when I had returned to school. So I emailed her and just kind of reiterated how much I loved my time at the internship and how I loved working under her and that I would love for her to write me a letter of recommendation if she was able to. And she said yes. But yeah, so that's how I went about asking it. Really, it's about the relationship that you have with the person. Obviously, two of them I asked in person and that's what felt right to me. One of them I asked over email, mainly because of the circumstances. But if I really thought that, you know, I would benefit from asking in person, I would have asked before I left my internship. So kind of, again, just assessing those relationships and doing what you think is best and really making sure that you're asking people that you think are going to say yes, because people will tell you no if they think that they can't write you and a good recommendation. They'll tell you no because they don't want to screw you over. 
So really assess and make sure, okay, are these the three people that I want representing me? Because they're the ones that are going to speak for you. You can gas yourself up all you want, but they have no incentive to vouch for you if they don't think that you're right for whatever they're recommending you for. So really make sure that um, you feel confident and comfortable with them recommending you. And I also suggest waiving your option to see the letter of recommendation. And this just kind of shows wherever you're applying that you didn't have any say in how they represented you. What research did you do? How did you do research on the school slash program? So I mainly looked at schools in the Boston area because I knew that I wanted to work in the Boston area. Um, I think that's a really big thing to consider when you're applying to law school is where you want to practice because ultimately wherever you go is going to be able to best match you with schools in that area. So for me, I knew that I would want to practice in the Boston area at least starting out. And so it was worthwhile for me to go to school in the Boston area. So I did research on schools in that regard, looked at various programs. Like I said, pretty early on, I knew that I was interested in intellectual property because it is such an up and coming industry in the legal field. A lot of schools do have programs for it, but I think it's important to look at what their programs offer, if they're offering a concentration, if they're offering an area of focus, if they're just offering courses, and then what you think would be most beneficial for you. And then from there, I really honed in and narrowed down my schools. This was another question, how I narrowed down schools based on my GPA, my LSAT score. Again, you know, like all applications, they tell you it's so well-rounded and we look at you as a person and not just your scores. But unfortunately, your scores matter and they do affect what school you can go into. Like I said earlier, my LSAT score, I scored above average, but not that much above average. Like Harvard isn't knocking on my door anytime soon and that's okay. But that also meant that once I had, okay, this is my LSAT score and this is my GPA, it just wasn't worthwhile for me to spend the money to apply to Harvard when I knew that statistically speaking, I wasn't a good match. And because scholarship was really important to me, I really narrowed down the schools that I wanted to look into applying at based on how my scores fit in with their averages. So I ended up applying to three schools where my LSAT score was at least the median, if not in the 75th percentile or above, because I knew that would make me an incredibly competitive applicant for them and someone that they were more willing to put money into, essentially. If you are lucky enough where money isn't as much of a factor, then I guess you can be a little less intense with this. And if you fit into the 25th percentile at the very least, then it's worth maybe going to a higher ranked school. Because law school, unfortunately, is a a field where the ranking, it does matter. But my mindset was... I would rather go to a school that I don't have to go broke for and that I could network through. So the school that I ended up choosing, I chose it because it was in the area that I liked. My LSAT and GPAs were in the 75th percentile, or I think it was a little bit above. I had the option of this early decision program that would guarantee me a good scholarship. And I had already an established network of alumni that went to this school. So I already felt like I had people that I would be willing, or not that I would be willing, that I would be able to work with and talk with during my time in law school to be able to secure a job, an internship, whatever it may be. Specifically, I talked with a girl who graduated a few years back and is working in a big firm 
in Boston and is doing really, really well. She's really successful, incredibly smart, and she went to my law school. And it's not the highest ranked law school in the world, but she's doing really well for herself. And so being able to see alumni that were not only thriving outside of the law school but also had such great things to say about their experience was what was the most important to me Um, and that's kind of how I ended up saying yep I'm going to apply early decision when I got in I had no doubt in my mind that I was going to the law school that was right for me So I know that's a lot of information. I'd be happy to follow up with any questions or anything like that in a future episode. If you're applying to law school or any grad school, good luck. I know it's really scary and it seems like a lot right now, but I promise you it's worth it in the end. Just work hard, get good grades, focus on your standardized tests, whether it's the LSAT, the GRE, um, the MCAT, which I think is what it is for med school, whatever it is. And thanks guys for listening to this episode. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you're on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And Anya and I will be back for the next episode. Bye guys. Bye.